Now, in order for an organization, a business, or even a team to function successfully, there are some foundational principles that I've come to understand that must be followed. There are some foundational principles that must be in place in order for that organization to be successful. Now, uh, anybody in here work in a business-related setting that has rules and regulations that you must follow? All two of you. Great. So what the rest of you are saying is that your workplaces don't require you to follow rules. Okay, so let's try this again. How many of you work for an organization or company that has rules that you must follow? Great, great. You know, some of the most successful companies here in the world uh, know that there are some things that cannot be marginalized. And if you do marginalize them, it would affect and cost them greatly in the long run. As a church, though, and as believers, we are in great danger, and there is a danger that exists in the Christian life. And that danger is marginalizing the things that matter most. It is marginalizing the things that matter most. You know, the the fact is, is that most churches often find themselves bogged down in all sorts of problems and issues. And, And usually those issues are a result of allowing trivial things to take center stage, while the most important things are often set aside. Over the weekend at our men's trip, um, I was unable to sleep Friday night, and so I began reading a book on my phone uh, about the life of D.L. Moody. How many of you in here know the name D.L. Moody or Dwight Moody? Many of you. D.L. Moody was a great theologian and and pastor. And in the story, D.L. Moody was meeting with a bunch of men in, in Europe as he was doing some missions work. And they were discussing building plans and, and construction work and school expansions. They were discussing publications and, and millions and millions of dollars were being talked about in this meeting. And during a rather heated debate and discussion, it was noticed that Mr. Moody was standing by the window looking down into the street. The men approached him and they could see tears falling down his cheeks. And the men said, Mr. Moody, what is wrong with you? Do you not care that we are discussing millions and millions of dollars here in this meeting? What's the matter with you? Mr. Moody turned and directed their attention down into the street and said, Don't you see the millions of souls that need to be saved by the gospel? Don't you see the millions of souls that need to be saved by the gospel? Church, there was a time when churches all across England were sending missionaries out by the hundreds to other nations. When pulpits were filled with red-hot preachers and churches were on fire with the love of Jesus Christ. When revival was not being discussed or read about, it was being experienced in church after church after church in that culture. Now, for the most part of England today, it has become a spiritual wasteland. Great Britain has become a country where less than 2% of the population even attempt to make it to a normal church service on a Sunday. And the fastest growing religion in Great Britain right now is Islam. The fastest growing religion. Do you know no one in their wildest dreams thought 150 years ago that we would be sending missionaries into Great Britain to evangelize them? Nobody. But sadly... 
many of the churches right here in our own culture are on the same path as those churches in England. Many, many churches are falling by the wayside because their focus, and in many cases their priority, is, is on meeting the felt needs of the people. We want church to be fun. We want church to be exciting and fresh and hip and upbeat and cool. That's what our culture says about church. We want the gospel to be less offensive. And we want for people to be comfortable when they walk in the four walls of the building. And in many cases, many cases, excuse me, churches have become far less concerned with ever spiritually challenging the body of people that sit before them. If anyone is really even convicted, they don't really care. If there's any true life change or, or real commitment to a body of believers, churches are no longer caring. And as long as we are comfortable and cozy and everything is cool, then we're all happy and joyous in the church setting. It was J. Oswald Chambers, a great missionary from Canada, who was touring a huge, palatial, and prestigious church here in America when he asked the pastor, how many missionaries does your church support? And the pastor said, I don't believe we support any. To which J. Oswald Chambers replied back, well, then this building is a stench in the gospel of God. This building is a stench in the, nost the nostrils of God. Church, I've come to realize as I have studied the word of God and I believe the others here have too, that the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer that we get to Christ, the more intensely missionary-minded we should become. In our text today, Paul is going to be addressing a church that is spiritually sick. Externally, they looked good, but internally, this church was rotting away. And it was a church at Corinth. This was a church that had marginalized the mission of the church and trivial things had taken center stage. So if you would please turn with me to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. We're going to be covering portions of two different chapters here in 2 Corinthians. So just follow along with me. It says in verse 1, Therefore, and if you have a physical Bible, I want you to underline having, I want you to underline this ministry. I want you to just underline it for me. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have denied disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the opening statement of truth, we, have uh, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, I want you to underline, to give the light, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to jump over to chapter number 5 with me. Amen. Chapter number 5. Look at verse number 14. It says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, verse 16, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we are once regarded Christ. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen, church? The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled to us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to highlight that phrase, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place, Lord, and we ask of you now to please illuminate these scriptures and give us the grace to receive your word today. Help us to be challenged by what Paul has said here to this church and that we would not walk away with the mindset of marginalizing missions down to a program. But God, we would become missions-minded in our hearts and souls as we see the harvest waiting to find hope in you. God, we ask you now uh, to use uh, the rest of this message uh, to minister to us, to challenge us and encourage us. And we ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. The mission of the church is missions. And when a church begins to marginalize missions, and when trivial things take center stage, a church will quickly find itself stagnating. It will, it will quickly find itself shrinking and full of unspiritual people. But how does that happen, church? How how does it come in a church to a place where we begin to marginalize the very command of God? How does a church end up in this dreadful situation? Well, the first thing I want you to note this morning is that when our salvation is no longer precious to us, missions will lose its importance. When our salvation is no longer precious to us, missions will lose its importance. You know, the danger for many is that there is an over-familiarity with the things of God. We can quickly and easily lose our sense of the sacredness of God and the preciousness of our salvation. You know, we as a people are prone to forget who we used to be. You know, I, I love that old hymn, Come Thou Fount. He says, prone to wander, Lord. Prone to wander. How many of you in here could say, yeah, that's me. I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to wander. You know, many believers are like poor photographs. They've been overexposed but underdeveloped. Poor photographs. They have plenty of exposure to the gospel, but little has happened in their life since. And the result is, is they have forgotten about the salvation that has occurred in their life. I want you to look at the verse that's going to hit the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, 
nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified, amen church, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is addressing the same church in the previous book, and he's saying to them, you have forgotten your old life. You've forgotten what God saved you out of. Have you forgotten what you were spared from? Have you grown cold? Have you grown indifferent to salvation? Church, when this happens, we no longer seek to evangelize, and missions loses its importance in our life. We begin to grow indifferent and apathetic to sharing our faith. I want you to look back with me in chapter number 4 at verse number 6. Verse number 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, and I ask you to underline the word to give, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is it. That verse right there is it, Christian. Our goal as believers and as a church is to give light to this world who is blind. Amen? Amen, church. You know, it's sad for many people, they come to church and they sing about their salvation and they go out and live like the devil. When salvation is precious, church, Christian, friend, balcony, online, when salvation is precious to us, we will begin to stay passionate about reaching people with the gospel. The second thing I want us to notice this morning is that missions becomes a program when we fail to live out our life for Christ. Missions becomes a program when we fail to live out our life for Christ. Have you ever stopped to think that missions is not just a program of the church? It's not just a program. I want you to look back at verse number 1 of chapter 4. He says, therefore we have this what? It's right there in the Bible, right in front of you. Therefore we have this what? Ministry. Therefore we have this ministry. Look over at chapter number 5, verse number 18. What does he say? He says, and this is from God who through Christ reconciled to us himself and he gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. The church is to be a part of God's mission to reach the world. And a declining, stagnant, unspiritual church loses its clear sense of purpose and mission. It was J. Oswald Smith. If you would put that quote up onto the screen, he said this, Any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. He's talking about the church who does not surrender to the great commandment or the great great commission he's saying that you've lost your ability to even be called in a biblical sense a church if you no longer seek to evangelize and disciple lost people 
And church, I don't know about you, but I don't want the well to be a church that is not labeled as a biblical church because we've marginalized missions here in our lives. I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody in this building. What I'm saying is that we should never lose sight of what the heartbeat of God truly was here for the believer. Amen? Why do you think I tell you every Sunday at the end of service that you're sent? Christ sent the disciples out two by two to minister the gospel to lost and hurting world. I, as your pastor, am sending you out to your mission field every Sunday, sending you out. You know, the, the commission of Jesus was very clear. It was very concise in Matthew chapter 28. Bring the truth of salvation to lost and disciple the saved. Bring the salvation of truth to the lost and disciple the saved. You know, it's a fundamental principle that a church should never forsake. It's what our very lives as believers is to be about. And when a church sees missions as a program and not our purpose, the church becomes sidetracked with issues that are very trivial. You know, one sure sign that we have lost our purpose is that we become consumed and contaminated with self. In essence, we have become prideful as individuals here in the church. I want you to look at chapter 5, verse number 12. He says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what it is in the what? The heart. So many Christians get caught up in the external, the appearance of things. What matters, church, I want you to write this down, it's not going to come to the screen for you. What matters are the issues of the heart. What matters are the issues of the heart. What makes us motivated inside? What is the driving force in our lives that gets us out of bed every day? What's the driving force that gets us to read our Bible? What's the driving force that brings us to a place of gathering and worship as, as we worship and sing praises to a holy God? What are we living for in this life? And I believe Paul clears it up in verse number 14. If you would look there, he says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The love of Christ in this life is to be a river inside each and every Christian. It's to be flowing deep and direct, and it is powerful because love comes from conviction. We are constrained here in the text. Literally means compelled. Compelled. We are completely held to the fact that Christ is our life. He controls us is what Paul is saying. He is what we live for. And so church, I have a question for you this morning. How could we ever want our old life that caused the death of Christ? How could we ever choose our old life that caused the death of Christ over the way that Christ wants us to live? It baffles me every time that I, I talk with people in counseling sessions and, and we, we walk through different portions of, of their life and they say, well, I'm, I'm still struggling to do this and I'm still struggling to do this. And, and to be honest with you, I at times struggle having compassion for people that continually do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. 
I, I struggle having compassion because I remember the moment in my life where I was, I was struggling to be obedient to the word of God and what Christ was doing in my life. And I remember being hit right upside the head with a two by four by God. I don't know about you, but I struggle having compassion on those people who say, I want to continue to do this. Why? Why would you want to continue in your old life? God has given you something fresh, something new. He's restored to you a relationship with the Father where you can live peaceably, church. Why would you want to choose the old life? The love of Christ is what constrains us. It is the love of Christ, church, that controls us. It is the love of Christ that commissions us. This love of Christ is then what should cause us to gladly and gratefully accept the commission that we have been given. I want you to look back with me at verse number 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Church, I want you to write something down. It's going to linger on the screen for you a, mo a moment. But if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by the heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by the heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Well, it can when our salvation is no longer precious to us. And it can when missions becomes a program and not a part of who we are. And the final point for us this morning is that the impact of missions perishes when we fail to remember who we represent. When we fail to remember who we represent. How many of you uh, know the name Charles Spurgeon? Spurgeon is one of my, one of my favorite uh, theologians and, and authors outside of C.S. Lewis. But there was a time when Charles Spurgeon was at a college in London. And someone asked Charles Spurgeon, Will the heathen who has never heard the gospel be saved? There's a question that was posed to him. And he replied back with, it's, it's more of a question with me whether we who have the gospel and failed to give it, whether we will be saved. Whether we will be saved. If we fail to give the gospel who does not have it, to the one who does not have it. And by the word here in the text, Charles Spurgeon said the ambassador here was placed upon us as a responsibility of our representation of Christ. Do you know, in the, in the Roman Empire, there were two types of provinces. There were the senatorial provinces, and there were the imperial provinces. The senatorial provinces were made up of people that were peaceful and not at war with Rome. But the imperial provinces were the ones that were not peaceful. They were dangerous. They were hostile because they would rebel against Rome if they could. And it was necessary often for Rome to send ambassadors to the imperial province to make sure that rebellion never broke out. Do you know, as believers, we are living in a hostile world. Amen? 
We're not here, though, and I cannot stress this enough, church. We're living in a hostile world, but we are not here to declare war. We're here to declare truth. We are here to bring the message of hope to a world that in their hostility finds themselves hopeless. Do you know this world has been in rebellion uh, to God since the very beginning of time? It has been in rebellion. And we as Christians are to be ambassadors for God. We are to be proclaiming Christ through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Do you know on the cross, God declared peace, but very soon he's going to declare war. Very soon he's going to declare war. And if we look back at verse 21 here in the text, he says, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. And so today our, our appeal to the world around us is to persuade folks in our community on the grounds of what the Savior has done for all men. He died for all men. He became sin for us and through his sacrifice we can become and be made righteous. No longer in this life do we have to live in guilt and in shame, church. And there's a place now to take our sorrows. There is a place to take our fears. There's a place to take our worries. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a hope. I'm grateful for a time when there will be no more tears. I'm grateful for a time where there will be no more pain. I'm grateful for a time where there will be no more death upon this earth. But most of all, I'm grateful for a time where I will stand before my maker. What about you, church? I wonder... If missions has become marginalized in our individual lives. If we think that missions and, and missions work is only for people who are overseas on the mission field. Then we've missed the command and the commission of Jesus Christ. The, the, the truth is, is that every single one of us is on the mission field. But the question is, is do we live a mission minded life? Or as missions become marginalized in this life for us. I pray often that our church doesn't, doesn't ever have to experience the tragedy of, of the Corinthian church. I pray often for a church who has given their lives so deeply to the things of God that they could think of nothing better to do than to share the gospel with other people. And on this Sunday, as we talk about missions, I wonder if we have forgotten 
the missionaries that our church supports. I wonder if we as a church should be upon our knees praying for our missionaries. You know, when I when I took over here as the pastor, um, one of the things that grieved my spirit the most was the fact that there, there were no missionaries that were being supported at this church. I know the church has, has done missions work, um, but there were no missionaries. There were, there, were no, there were no Christians that were on the missions field that we were connecting with on a regular basis and supporting what God was doing in their lives. And I made it a point um, to continuously bring it up to our board. We've got to find missionaries that our church can support. We've got to have people that we're connected with that are, that are doing the work of God because we as a church can do all the missions work we want right here. But the, the, the mission, the gospel going forward was to reach all nations. It was to reach all nations. Man, and, and we should be thanking God that it was all nations or else the gospel would have never made it here to America. We would be lost without the gospel. We have, we have two families that our church has taken on in support um, this year. Um, the beginning of this year, Mark, Mark and Mindy Gertis who used to be pastors of a local church right here in town. And after nearly 30 years of pastoring in multiple capacities, they believed the Lord was calling them to Mexico. And so they're in the process right now. I believe, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, they leave in November um, of this year to begin language school in Costa Rica. And then next year they will be in Mexico. And then um, the Hemerin family that beautiful young couple and their two baby boys that stepped right here in front of our church last November on their way to Africa. Came through the SMAT program right here in Ionia. People that we're connected with. And they're now overseas um, sharing the gospel with people. Interacting with those who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And man... We have a young couple right here in our church right now who are preparing to go on the mission field. Jesus had a heartbeat for lost people. And so church, I know we, we still have a little bit of time. And Mike, I know I told you there was nothing crazy going to happen. Um, I believe that God wants us as a church to get on our face before him and pray, not only for the lost, but to pray for our missionaries. I don't know about you, but as the days go on, I'd rather be communing with God than distracted by the things of this world. So church, I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask at this time, um, that we would begin to set our hearts into an attitude of prayer. You can get into small groups of people and, and pray. 
You can pray as individuals. You can come here to this altar, but I believe that we need to spend the next little bit of time praying, praying for missions, praying for our community and the lost and the hurting and praying for the hemorrhoids, praying for the Gertis family. And in church, if, if you didn't know this, we have a sponsor child as well that we, we send money to every single month so that they can not only get an education, but they can hear the gospel as well. And so I'm going to ask us now, um, and if you would, you can just play um, some, some music. It doesn't have to be anything super loud um, at all. In church, I'm going to just ask us now, uh, you can get into groups, you can come here, um, just to begin to pray. Um, and then I will close us in prayer here. Um,